Father God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this time that you've given us to gather. We thank you for your word. We thank you for our children. God, as we dive into your word today, we just ask that you would help us to soften our hearts, to receive your word with gladness and joy, and then put it into action, Lord. We thank you so much for your son and the sacrifice that he made for us. We pray all of this in the name of your precious son, Jesus. And the church said, amen. All right. Well, welcome. Thank you all so much for being here. My name is Josh. I'm the, the minister here at Alliance Christian Church. Uh, just a few little housekeeping items before we jump into it. I want to remind you all we have um, the... The scripture we're going to be reading today we have available if you use the YouVersion Bible app. If you're an app person, you can find an event on there that'll have all of the scripture we're going to be reading. We also have some of our handouts that we made that are still floating around there. If you want one of those, it's the full text of the book of Matthew. If you don't have one and you want one, come get me and I'll get you one printed. Um, and I also want to remind everybody that after church today we're having fellowship dinner. Um, this is my, my favorite day of the month. Uh, we, we don't always have the biggest, fanciest music and production value, but the one thing that we're really good at is eating a meal together. So I'm really grateful for that. I would love if you would open your Bible or your apps or your handouts or your scrolls, whatever you have to read God's Word with, to Matthew chapter 13. We're in our series called Kingdom. We're going through the life of Jesus in the book of Matthew, and we're exploring the themes of God's kingdom. And Matthew 13 is the third of the five major speeches in the book of Matthew. The first major speech that Jesus gives is the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7. The second big major speech is his commissioning of the 12 in Matthew chapter 10. And here at Matthew chapter 13, we're going to look at the parables that Jesus teaches. This is his third major speech. And I've mentioned these speeches a couple of times, and I want to kind of take a moment... And just explain exactly what I mean by five major speeches. When we started this series, I had mentioned that one of the important things to understand about the book of Matthew is that Matthew was not writing a chronological account of Jesus' life. Mark takes care of that. John takes care of that. Matthew was doing something bigger. The Spirit was working through Matthew to create this work of art, this painting, and in order to get some points across, in order to help us understand the themes of the kingdom, he on purpose would take parts of Jesus' life and tell them out of order. That's not an accident. That's on purpose. He put a, a structure, he put time into the book of Matthew and built this structure and built the life of Jesus around these five major speeches. And we can think of these speeches as pillars of Jesus' teaching, and then the story of in and out in between those pillars. And so we can think of these five major speeches, the Sermon on the Mount, the commissioning, the, the parables here, and we've got two more to go. We can think of them as standalone teachings, as events that you can pull out and you can read as one unit, and then the story of Jesus' life goes in and out in between those speeches. And so before we jump into this speech in Matthew 13, I kind of want to take a look at the storyline of Jesus' life 
before and after the speech and get a clear idea of why Matthew put this speech in this place. So in Matthew 11, we read last week, Jesus is doubted by John the Baptist. John is having doubts about Jesus. He's doubted by the crowds. The cities of Bethsaida and Chorazin are doubting him and rejecting him. And then you get into chapter 12, and Jesus is rejected wholesale by the religious leaders. So we have this kingdom, this thing that is growing, and the king has arrived, and he's doing all these miracles, and he steps out, and all of a sudden, everyone's starting to fall away left and right. They're rejecting him. We get to the end of chapter 12, and we get this hint that there's even a falling out between Jesus and his own family. Because his family calls for him, and Jesus says, you know who my true family is? My true family are the ones who are doing the will of my Father. And that's confirmed if you read Mark or Luke that Jesus' family didn't even believe him the whole time while he was teaching. And then I want to look at the end of chapter 13. So this is Matthew picking back up the life of Jesus at the very end of chapter 13. So I'd love if you'd jump on over to Matthew 13, 53. It says, Now when Jesus finished these parables, which we're about to read, he moved on from there. Then he came to his hometown and began to teach the people in their synagogue. They were astonished and said, Where did this man get such wisdom and miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this his mother named Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And aren't all his sisters here with us? So where did he get all of this? So they're amazed by what they hear and what they see. But then verse 57 says, And so they took offense at him. They rejected him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own house. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. So at this point, Jesus has pretty much been rejected by everyone except for a very small group of devoted followers. He's working for the redemption of the world and everyone's rejecting him. Anybody here ever been rejected? Got two kids. So you cook... This is the worst form of rejection in my eyes. As you cook this meal and you're like, oh, this is delicious. The kids are going to love it. And they take one bite and they go, yuck. Even with kids, it hurts, doesn't it? What about in ministry? What about in spreading the gospel? Anybody here ever been trying to share God's good news? It stings. When we invite our friends to church and we try to share the good news of Jesus with them and they look at us like we have two heads, they're like, why would I want to do that? And the hardest part is, is I, you want to share the joy that you found. You want to share this wonderful thing that you found with the people that you love and they don't, have, they don't, they don't want to hear a word of it. And it's exhausting. It feels like running uphill in the sand. And the question we have to ask is, why? Why do we have this beautiful gift and yet some people 
Why is Jesus performing all of these miracles and doing all of these amazing things, and yet people are rejecting him? Healing diseases, controlling the weather, causing a shriveled hand to come back to full strength. Think, think about this for a second. If I turned on the news, and there was some church in the middle of Iowa somewhere that was reported as having these types of miracles happening. They would pray and somebody would be miraculously healed. They would pray and somebody who was not alive was all of a sudden alive. And it was confirmed and it wasn't a hoax and it was a real thing. If, if that church in the middle of Iowa somewhere had that kind of stuff going on and I knew that it was real, y'all, I would quit my job and I would move my family to Iowa and I would join that church and do whatever they're doing. You, do you agree? It's proof. They're seeing proof, and yet they're rejecting him. But that's not what we see. We don't see people leaving everything to follow Jesus. I want to jump into chapter 13, verse 1. I want to think about these parables in terms of Jesus' rejection. Chapter 13, verse 1 says, on that day, after Jesus went out of the house, he sat by a lake, and such a large crowd gathered, gathered around him that he got into a boat to sit while the whole crowd stood on the shore. He told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some feet, seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. They sprang up quickly because the soil was not deep, but when the sun came... They were scorched, and because they did not have sufficient root, they withered. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and they grew up and choked them. But other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundred times as much, some sixty and some thirty. The one who has ears had better listen. And the beautiful part about these parables is that I don't actually have to come up with a sermon on telling you what it means because Jesus tells us. So why don't we jump over to verse 18 and let Jesus tell us what this parable means. Verse 18, Jesus says, So listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches what was sown in the heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed sown on rocky ground is the person who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, but he has no root in himself, and he does not endure. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. The seed sown among the thorns is the person who hears the word, but worldly cares and the seductiveness of wealth choke the word, so it produces nothing. But as for the seed sown on good soil, this is the person who hears the word and understands. He bears fruit, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. So this is, this is the truth of working for the kingdom. The cold hard facts, the hard reality that we have to face is that not everyone is going to believe in Jesus. Full stop. Some people are not going to believe in Jesus. Their hearts are not going to be receptive to the message. Some people are going to believe, and you're going to get excited because they're joining your family, and then they're going to fall away. That's hard. 
There are people in my life, personally, who I have discipled and taught and even led to commit their lives to Christ. And I've baptized them. I've personally baptized them. And then they're not in the family of faith. They're not following. They're not believers. They're falling away. And it's a hard thing to deal with. I want us to back up and look at verse 10. I know I'm kind of jumping around here, but I want to make sure we're looking at these parables and getting the explanation right. Look at, look at verse 10. It says, The disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? He replied, You have been given the opportunity to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but they have not. For whoever has, it will be given more and will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even that what he has will be taken from him. For this is the reason I speak to them in parables. Although they see, they don't see. And although they hear, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And concerning them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You listen carefully, yet you will never understand. You will look closely, and yet will never comprehend. For the heart of this people has become dull. They are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes, so that they would not see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and I would heal them. And he says to his disciples, but your eyes are blessed because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Jesus calls these parables, he calls his teachings secrets or mysteries. It says, you have been granted the ability to hear and understand these mysteries, these secrets. Not everybody is going to understand that. Some people, you plant a seed, you sow a seed, you work, you teach, you, you love on, and they just don't want anything to do with it. So what do we do with that information? If those are the facts... How do we as Christians respond to this information? How do we live in the world knowing that the people we love may or may not follow Jesus? Well, that's, that's what the parable of the wheat and the tares is in verse 24. Verse 24 says, He presented them with another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a person who sowed good seed in his field. But whilst everyone was sleeping, an enemy came and sowed, hold on a second, an enemy came and sowed darnel among the wheat and went away. Okay, got to stop. We got to back up because I can guarantee you with like 99% accuracy that the Bible you're reading now says something besides the word darnel. Am I right? It either says weeds or tares. Show of hands, whose Bible says weeds? I got one, two, three. Okay, whose Bible says Tares. Okay, one, two, three, about half and half. Why does the Bible translation I'm using say darnel? Okay, so the, the translation we're using today is this is the Net Bible, the NET. Part of the reason I'm using this Bible translation, number one is because they have a very generous copyright policy, and all of those handouts that we have with the full copies of the book of Matthew uh, are royalty-free, so we don't have to pay for those. So those, that's one thing. Um, 
But then every now and then when you're using a different translation, you come across a word and you're scratching your head going, well, that doesn't make sense. So let's talk about this darnel, these weeds, these tares. Darnel is the actual name of the actual plant that Jesus is talking about, whereas weeds and tares are just generic names for weeds and tares. So they chose to actually translate the actual name of the plant, the actual name of the, the weed. So it, it would be the difference between me saying, hey, we're going to have a, a cleanup here at the church on Saturday. We've got some weeds out in the garden that need pulled. Okay, you've got an idea in your mind. And the difference between that and me saying, hey, we've got some Russian thistles out here that need pulled. If I say we've got Russian thistles that need pulled, what are y'all going to bring? Gloves. Or you're going to stay home because you're like, nope, I ain't touching those. So darnel is this, is this weed that we don't have today. It's pretty much been uh, eliminated in modern agriculture with Roundup-ready crops and, and all of the things that we can do and the amazing things we can do in agriculture today. But in Jesus' time, especially in the Mediterranean world, darnel was this weed that, while it was growing, looked almost identical to wheat. You couldn't tell the difference. That's why in verse 26, it says, When the, plants, when the plant sprouted and produced grain, then the darnel also appeared. So it's this plant that, while it's growing, it looks exactly like wheat, like wheat until right up to the moment of harvest, and the seed heads come out, and then the seed heads are black, and then you can tell it apart. So by the time you recognize it's there, it's already too late. So that's problem number one with this darnel. Problem number two with this darnel plant is that it's extremely poisonous. So today, in, in our ranches and farms, we worry about crop loss, because if we've got weeds, well, that's, that's reducing our profit margin. But in this time, in this case, it's not just crop loss and profit margin. It's a matter of life and death, because if you harvest that and it gets in with your wheat, people are going to die. So you see darnel in your field, it's a big deal. So the workers in this parable are able to identify that they think they see some darnel that started to grow seed heads and they're like, hey, we've got something going on here. Verse 27 says, so the slaves of the landowner came to him and said, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did this darnel come from? He said, an enemy has done this. So the slaves replied, do you want us to go and gather it? But he said, no, since in gathering the darnel, you may uproot the wheat along with it. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I will tell the reapers, first collect the darnel and tie it into bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat in my barn. So he says, at this point, there's no sense in trampling across the field trying to collect it, because all you're going to do is damage what's already there. Let it all grow, and I will sort it out in the end. And if you read verse 36, you see that that's what our attitude should be as Christians. This is Jesus' explanation of that parable. He says, he left the crowds, I'm jumping ahead here, he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the darnel in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the people of the kingdom. The poisonous weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. 
The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. As the poisonous weeds are collected and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather from His kingdom everything that causes sin as well as lawbreakers. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. The one who has ears had better listen. So Jesus lays out who everybody is in this story. This is you, this is them, this is the angels. What is our job as Christians then? Sow the seed. Let me make one thing absolutely clear, and I'm going to say it twice just to make sure everyone hears it. Our job is not to sort out the wheat from the tares. One more time. Our job is not to sort out the wheat from the weeds. Our job is not to decide. In doing so, we run the risk of damaging those relationships. Ron, I was over at uh, our elder Ron's house a couple of weeks ago, and we were, we were out in his pasture, and he had some cheatgrass, and we were talking about the cheatgrass. Who all knows what cheatgrass is? Nasty stuff, right? Ron, if you don't mind, you could go in there right now with, with a big old thing of Roundup, and you could just round up that whole field, and you'd kill that cheatgrass, wouldn't you? What's, oh, I heard it. You'd probably kill everything along with it. We could judge. We could sort out. We could tell people, yeah, yeah, you're going to hell. You're not, you know, we, could, we can act that way and try to play God, but we're just going to damage those relationships. And here's where real life is different than the parable. In the parable, a weed is always going to be a weed. And wheat is always going to be wheat. But that's not the way people are. Christ gives us the ability to turn around. Christ gives us the ability to go from a bad tree to a good tree, like we talked about in Matthew chapter 11. Because here's the deal. We don't know what's in somebody's heart. We don't know whether somebody is a wheat or a tear, and it's really not our job. So we have a choice to make. As Christians, we can look down at the world, we can turn up our noses, and we can be in our own little Christian bubble, or we can do what Jesus tells us to do. We can exist in the world, being the light of the world and the salt of the earth. You have the opportunity to be that person that does something or says something or acts a certain way and somebody says, wow, I guess there really is hope in the world after all. But let's be real, that's still an exhausting place to be, isn't it? It's an exhausting thing to know that there are people out here that don't know the love of Jesus and you just want to help. It can be exhausting putting in work for the kingdom and not seeing results and hitting dead ends over and over and over again. Well, I have hope for you. Go back to, to verse 31. Here's another parable. It says, He gave them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. 
It's the smallest of seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest garden plant and becomes a tree so that the wild birds come and nest in its branches. Verse 33, another one, he says, He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until all the dough had risen. In the context of discipleship, in the context of what's going on in the book of Matthew here, Jesus is making it clear that his kingdom will grow. You can have faith in that. You can take that to the bank. His kingdom will grow. It might not grow in the way you want it to, with the people you want it to, at the time you want it to, but you've got to keep planting seeds because his kingdom will grow. You've got to keep farming. And some of those seeds are going to hit bad soil. Some of those seeds are going to land in the thistles. Some of those seeds are going to be eaten up by the birds, but you've got to keep planting. Because as discouraging as it can be, the message that we are spreading, the kingdom that we are helping to grow, is the most precious, valuable thing that has ever existed. Verse 44 Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field that a person found and hid. Then because of the joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Verse 45, it says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls. When he found a pearl of great value, he went out and sold everything he had and bought it. Real quick, the point of that parable is not that you need to hide the kingdom. That's not the point of that. I've heard that before. It's not true. The point of that, king, that parable is that the kingdom, like that treasure, is something that's worth giving everything up for. If you're a follower of Jesus, you probably already know, know that. I hope so. I hope you realize just how precious the gift you have is. As a farmer for the kingdom... It, as a worker for the kingdom, we plant and we water and we grow and we cultivate and we plant more seeds and we try to do everything to get this little seed to grow. And every now and then you come across that one that lands on the good soil. That person who recognizes the value, they recognizes that this is a beautiful treasure and they receive the gospel message and they go all in and they sell everything. They sell the farm and they are all in on the kingdom. And that's what we're looking for. That's the harvest we're looking for. A lot, of, a lot of churches these days, ours included, are, are really concerned about numbers, metrics. We're tracking attendance. And look, we track attendance. We, tr we look at our numbers. But, you know, a lot of times you get this, this, you get caught up in the numbers. Oh, we had uh, 15 people last week, but only 12 people this week. And, but, you know, if numbers are your only goal as a church, you're completely missing the point. I go home and I pray for this church. And you know what I don't pray for? You know what never comes up in my prayers is numbers. I never sit down with God and say, God, please uh, just grant us a 12% increase in participation on, on Sunday mornings and could... Uh, 
thank you so much for the 3% increase of people who came to Bible study. No, I don't pray for numbers. I don't care about numbers because God doesn't care about numbers. He cares about people. When I go home and I pray for this church, I pray for people. I pray for each and every one of you by name. And I praise God for the work that he's doing through you. I pray that he would bless you in circumstances. I pray that he would help you out in the troubles that you're having because you are a person. You are that seed that has been planted that I care about. In the same way, when we are spreading the gospel, we should be concerned with people not numbers. We should be praying that this one person, Frank or John or Mary or Sally or whoever it is, finds the treasure and realizes how beautiful and precious it is. As an aside, will somebody either text or go get Reva down from Children's Church? One person. When we went through Matthew chapter 10, I had asked you guys to identify the lost sheep in your life. Hopefully you've been doing that. Hopefully you've identified who the lost sheep are in your life, and hopefully you have a name to those people. Not just a generic group of, like, kids. No. Theodore. I want you to have a person in your heart that you're praying for, that you're talking to. One person even. Because Luke 15 says... I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who have no need to repent. You know, I found that God does this amazing thing when I'm preparing these messages in which the scripture that comes up for today always just so happens to be something that applies to my struggles and something I'm working with. Bear in mind, I planned this series on Matthew since before Christmas of last year. So today was always going to be Matthew 13. A couple of weeks ago, I was going through our list of our registrations for our VBS that we're putting on. If you're not aware, we're joining forces with the folks over at First Baptist, and, and what an awesome fact that you guys are here today. Um, and we're going to put on a vacation Bible school for our kids in the town of Alliance because we care about them. They're the lost sheep that we want to go after. And so we've been praying over different parts of town. We've been praying for this VBS. We've been praying for workers to be sent out into the field because we have this urge to make a difference for the children of Alliance, Nebraska. By the way, if you haven't signed up to volunteer for that, get with Marie, because I think it's going to be an awesome opportunity to spread the gospel. But I was going through our registrations, and I was looking at who all is signed up, and I came to the realization, and I realized that we have, at this point, five kids registered for VBS, and every single one of them are our kids. They're either at Alliance or First Baptist. And I had this moment. I was like, Where, where's all the kids? And I got discouraged. I've been getting discouraged a little bit because I've been hearing back from some of you that you've been handing out flyers and having people say, well, I'm this denomination or that, and so I'm not going to go to that. And oh, it breaks my heart because I just want people to hear the gospel. And then I open my Bible to start preparing for this message, and this is what we had this week. The 
God does amazing things. And I, and I came to the realization, I said, you know what? If we end up with five kids and they're all our kids, you know what we're going to do? We're going to plant seeds. We're going to love those kids. If we end up with, by some miracle, 30 kids, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to plant seeds because we love those kids. If we're tired and hungry and exhausted and spiritually broken down and we're physically broken down, you know what we're going to do? We're going to get up and we're going to plant seeds. If the kids are acting up and they don't want to listen, you know, that's okay. We're going to, say it with me, plant seeds. That's where I want our focus to be. Verse 51, Jesus says, have you understood all of these things? So he gets through telling all these parables and he says, did you get it? Do you understand it? They replied, yes. Then he said to them, therefore, every expert in the law who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and old. We talked about in Matthew 12, what's our treasure? Where's our treasure come from? It comes from the heart. If you love Jesus, if you love God, I want you to take the opportunity to take that treasure that you have in your heart and bring it out of your house. Share it with whoever will listen. And if they don't, keep sharing. That's what we're here for. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much for this church. We thank you so much that you would just be with us and give us the strength to get up every single day and go to work planting seeds. God, I ask that you would help us when we're discouraged because our seeds aren't growing and help us to realize that they're not our seeds, they're yours. We praise you and we thank you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for this treasure that you've given us to be able to share it with the world. And we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. And the church said, Amen. Amen. At this time, if you're not a farmer for the kingdom, if you're not a worker for the kingdom, and you realize the value, if you realize that pearl, the treasure, we have an opportunity right now for you to make that choice. One of our elders will be up front as we sing a song of invitation. And if you want to join up, if you want to go to work, if you want to be hired for the kingdom, now is the perfect time to do so. Oh my goodness, that is the most beautiful heart.